Hello and welcome to the Surgical Spirit Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Haider Al-Hakim, the Third Eye Doctor. Pull up a chair and get ready for some candid and uncompromising discussion with experts, innovators, agitators, and influential people from every corner of health and well-being. From inside the hospital to at home in the kitchen, we're leaving no stone unturned in our quest to uncover the secrets of healthier, happier, more successful, and less stressful lives. Thank you so much for joining us, and without further ado, let's meet this episode's guest. Hello. Hi, how are you doing, mate? Good I'm, to see you again. I'm, I'm very well. Shan was our first guest on the Surgical Spirit podcast. You're my first guinea pig. And it's been downhill ever since. <laughs> <laughs> for both of us, I don't know. But no, I mean, it was... Um, we uh, we connected on LinkedIn, yeah, and it was literally out of the blue, and it was literally yeah, let's go for it. Do you know what I mean? It's like, what, what was that your first podcast interview? Oh, I, no, I think I'd done about three or four, but I, I really did enjoy that one because I didn't really know you, and, and you didn't know me. We just kind of knew of each other's work a little bit, and so it was just like an introduction, you know, finding these two sort of like-minded doctors who really want to do work beyond you know the pills and potions and prescribing and and make a difference in in people's lives and in population health so i i really did enjoy that plus you gave me an opportunity to, to vent against all the bureaucracy going on which i always enjoy doing um, yeah yeah we love that shit i mean de- de- definitely you know particularly people in power we love to shoot them down um <laughs> and it, you know it's a great way of uh, releasing the tension well, only those that warrant it, you know. I, I don't. Come on, everyone needs to be shot down now, and even if they don't, even if, if it's not warranted. Do you know, do you, I, do you know what I, mean? I mean, it's good fun. I, I find it good fun. I don't instantly shoot people down just because they've got power. I think, well, you know, what are you doing with that power? Yeah. Are you making a positive difference, or are you abusing it, or are you self-serving? And I think increasingly within healthcare, um, and, and dare I say beyond, um, there are a lot of people who are given very honourable positions of power that unfortunately is not being used for the greater good um so i don't want to duplicate all the stuff i said in um, paul polybius's uh, podcast the other day but um there's a there's a lot of changes that i think need to be addressed within within the system within the national health service and uh, the organizational side of things is, is there something that you think you can do or your average doctor can do today to make a difference to the top leadership in in the medical profession disengage Disengage. So, right. So, sort of, uh, you know, a, a, a kind of civil unrest amongst the ranks. Well, I think there needs to be change. And that change is going to be either top down mm. or it's going to be bottom up. And you like the top down kind I'd of I'd like it. I'd like I think we'd all like that, wouldn't yeah. we? Where, you know, we have leadership in place that comes in and says, okay wow, you know, things are unsettled here. Let's do what we can to help take care of you and, and see what we can do to support your needs better so that you can take care of your patients better. Um, and that unfortunately, doesn't seem to be happening. Um, and so, you know, what's the bottom-up approach? Well, we've seen a lot of protests over the last, mm-hmm. certainly over the last decade, um, and uh, a lot of people expressing their discontent in, in how, how we're being treated as doctors. You know, the junior doctor's contract is, is just one example of the many problems that uh, that uh, we've been facing. But, um, I mean, disengage, obviously I say that with, with tongue-in-cheek to some extent. So is it just a, lo- a lost cause then? I mean, do we just take care of ourselves and make sure we sort of... 
survive this sort of constant turmoil that doctors inevitably go through in their profession? I think self-care is probably the most critical mm. part here. Um, and, you know, I think we've absolutely got to make sure that we're, we're looking after ourselves. And there's nothing selfish about that. You mm. know, if we can't take care of ourselves, how can we possibly take care of thousands of patients? Um, and um, in terms of what I'm talking about with, with the bottom-up approach, as I said, I'm, I'm saying it tongue-in-cheek, tongue but, but I think we've got to start to look at, you know, what do we really, you know, what, what will really get their attention most of all? You know, that they're, they're, they're not listening to protests in the streets. Okay, that's fine. Um, what will they listen to? And I think ultimately we'll come back to taking away those things that serve them. Which is what? Where does our money go? How much do we pay the GMC? How much do we pay okay. um, all these organisations that are supposedly acting in our interests? Right. And, um, you know, we've got to remember that we don't work for them. They work for us. Yeah. And they have a responsibility towards us. Yeah. Well, this is a very heavy start, isn't it? You know, what, <laughs> well, yeah, you know, we're, we're, we're having pretty heavy fluids right now, you know, sort of getting heavy. But um, but doesn't that mean we've got to have the balls or the guts to, to, to actually do this and not enough of us have enough oomph and courage to say no to this stuff? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, I, I think it's um, fear of consequences, Mm. And, uh, you know, we, we get, um, you know, threats or repercussions if we don't do this or, you know, that if that box isn't ticked, then, you know, this will happen. You know, about two years ago, my practice, um, where I was a partner at the time, we um, took over a, a neighbouring practice. And so we had to get all of our um, registration papers in place for the Care Quality Commission, those charming folks. and You love them to bits, you do. Um, well, I'm sure that my feelings towards them are quite <laughs> similar to the ones you have towards them. Um, and so we, we submitted everything and, and uh, they sent us an email saying we haven't received it. And I said, well, we've submitted it. Do you want us to do it again? So we'd send it to submit it. I think this went on three or four times. And then they sent an email to us saying that uh, as you have failed to submit your paperwork, um, despite being given so many opportunities, um, we are... Uh, wish to inform you that we are capable of imposing a £50,000 fine um, plus uh, 12 months imprisonment. And I thought, gosh, this is outrageous. How bloody dare you? Who do you think you're talking to? You know, it's not our fault that your systems are so messed up that you haven't received our paperwork. But to turn around and threaten your hard-working, dedicated staff with £50,000 plus 12 months inside is just disgraceful. And uh, I got, um, well, I didn't get directly shirty with them because uh, our CQC lead decided that he would take care of it. But uh, um, I do remember responding to someone who asked me about it. I said, listen, a £50,000 five and 12 months in prison um, wouldn't uh, break the bank or our resolve or our spirit. And, you know, these organisations need to understand that, that. And do you think that comes from the leadership there or? policies that have been put in place by think tanks or consultancy firms within the within these groups I'm interested because these are the people that we need to say look yeah this doesn't work yeah this is totally inappropriate it doesn't solve any issues 
I'm interested to know what the, their roles are with these think tanks and exactly how much influence they have and, and also how much, how much research do they do? How, much, how many people do they talk to on the front line to really get an understanding as to what's truly happening? Um, and uh, so, 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 you know, we can show them, you know, shine the mirror on them to say, look, you know, where's your uh, uh, regulation and where's, you know, who are you answering to and who are your paymasters? Well, yeah, a bit of transparency would be nice, wouldn't mm. it? Um, you know, some of the ideas that we have or that, well, uh, that are enforced upon us so that we are suddenly having to do that are unilaterally written into our contract um, every year. You just read them and think, where on earth has this come from? Who, mm. who has dreamt this up? This is, you know, how, how is this going to make patient care better? There was um, something introduced um, a few years ago now for general practice where all, all GPs have to disclose how much, how much money they're making, what they're earning. Not just on their websites, but actually on posters in their practice. So if you have an NHS GP, they have, to, they have an obligation now to post that. And um, and I just find you just think well why why yeah what's what's the point about that you know I mean I, I don't talk about how much I earn I don't mm. tell people how much I earn if they really want to know that's that's different but uh, it's such a distasteful area to discuss and I think how is that supposed to make patients better um, you know if if uh, a patient comes in to see me who is uh, you know a single mother living on state benefits has five children five mouths to feed and is really struggling financially and is sitting in the waiting room and seeing how much the doctor earns, immediately there's a barrier to communication yeah, there. Yeah. You know, they're going to think, well, you know, what's that person understand about my plight right now? Whereas we want to try and help them and mm. understand them and, and uh, come from a position where we can really serve them and help meet their needs. Uh, so just these nonsensical ideas uh, that are implemented, that I don't see where the evidence is that how, how many of these make make healthcare better, make our jobs better, or, you know, make our patients better. Well, it certainly doesn't make our well-being any better, and it just sort of increases mm. that constant strain on uh, on the profession. And, you know, the public still love doctors. You know, that's the kind of sentiment that, that I receive from the general population. And it's as if, they're, you know, they're trying to destroy this because... The politicians have already destroyed their reputation with with the public. It's mm-hmm. like, okay, our reputation is is destroyed. Let's see who else we can destroy on the way <laughs> on the way down. And and you know, doctors are an easy target. Yeah, there's been a lot of uh, um, targeted smear campaigns against doctors. Um, I think this started under the Labour government, but uh, it's possible it could have been before that, um, where you know doctors were challenged about you know again how much money they're earning or you know how little work they do and GPs go home at lunchtime or they play golf all afternoon and things mm. like that and none of these things are true um, and uh, they were, I think even now there's some certain newspapers I don't need to name them I think you probably already know which ones really do seem to have it in for doctors um, as a profession and, and I think that's it's very disappointing I, I, I don't really don't really know what what um, why, why they feel that doctors warrant that kind of vitriol. Mm. Mm. I mean, we have a problem in, in, in Iraq, you know, as in the public in general do not trust the doctors, unfortunately. Mm. Um, you know, there is a historical context to that. Um, 
there is a obviously a training problem with it and also a funding problem. So, you know, there, there are reasons. But the majority of doctors in Iraq are absolutely wonderful and, and do um, a thankless job of uh, keeping all these um, people alive, really, with, mm-hmm. with so few resources and, you know, so few, um, well, not enough doctors or time. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe it's a global thing. You know that they they have it in for doctors. I mean, on the sort of professional side of things and on the business side of things, you know, you do meet some interesting individuals who who just have a chip on their shoulder when it comes to doctors. And I guess it's sometimes they have bad experiences in hospitals, mm-hmm. and you know, sometimes they they experience something that's untowards, and then they sort of taint the whole uh, the whole profession that way. Um, yeah, I, I think you're right. Um, I, I think, um, I mean, obviously the internet has changed everything and, you know, yeah. most people who will go and see a doctor now will have, you know, typed in something about their symptoms into their, their preferred search engine Yeah, and uh, come in with uh, what their impression is. And, and I've got no problem with that. Um, I think that's a good thing, to be honest, because it sort of, it allows us yeah. as clinicians yeah. to actually engage with the patient. Yeah, and allow us to sort of have that dialogue and say, right, excellent, good, okay, let's right. look at this paper. Yeah, and you know, and if I didn't know about it, even better, there's something that you know I'm I'm educated about, and and you know I don't shy away from that. Uh-huh. Um, but I think that's a good thing to be honest, because it just allows that, particularly if you have a a, tr- a transparency with the patient. Uh-huh. I I agree. I think it is a good thing, and I think it uh, may possibly even save us some consultations. However. I think the problem arises when people just, um, and, and this doesn't happen often, but uh, I do get one or two cases where people will actually absolutely convince themselves that they have a certain condition, yeah. um, having used, or should I say misused, um, their search engine findings or, you know, ended up in some uncredited website that, you know, isn't really peer-reviewed or uh, um, doesn't have reliable, consistent, scientifically uh, proven, and then you stand your ground, or sort of, what? What? What happens? I think it's, it's about connecting and understanding, really, isn't it? You yeah. know, understanding where they're coming from, and you know how to allay their fears and concerns, and whilst also meeting their expectations. Doesn't necessarily mean that we can automatically deliver everything they're looking for, um, but um, you know, I have had people come in um, with a history of migraines who just they demand a CT scan mm. or an MRI brain scan. Uh, and that's the only thing they want from you. And if they don't give it, then they don't want anything else from you. Um, and uh, and that can be challenging. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, there are criteria for organising and arranging such investigations. But you've got to make sure that those criteria are being met. And if they're not, then it's a, it's a misuse of public funding, ultimately. Um, so, you know, it, it can be challenging. And uh, um, I think it really comes back to... Trying to understand where they're coming from, yeah, and, yeah. and uh, trying to alleviate their their concerns, and and really just doing what we can, just to just to listen. And I presume you work with uh, trainees and sort of junior doctors. Uh, I I used to in my partnership, yeah, for yeah. about ten years. What 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 was it like for the doctors coming through? You know, um, really good fun. I think, yeah, yeah. In good. my in my mind, I, I think I'm yeah. fun to work with. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I, I always enjoyed uh, teaching and, and training. Uh, we, we'd have medical students as well, um, and uh, GP registrars coming through. And uh, so the profession's in good hands. 
I hope so. Yeah. I mean, I think so. I mean, I've, I've sort of met a lot of um, junior doctors and, and doctors in training. And, and they're really passionate about the profession, hmm. which, is, which is really reassuring. Yeah, I think the two things that immediately spring to mind are, are um, firstly, how the profession seems to become more and more flowchart-based, if you like, you know, hmm. driven by policies and protocols and pathways and procedures. Um, and one of my criticisms of that is that it's you know not not everything fits neatly yeah. in, into a, a simple mm. man-made pathway you know there, there are things that we've got to look at if we're looking outside the box to to help determine what's really going on mm. um i do think such things uh prime us to be taken over by artificial intelligence yeah yeah <laughs> um and uh well, it's for scaling, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, you know, that's why they have this, so that they can scale and sort of increase profits. You know, you know that's mm. one of the major reasons why they have these pathways. And, mm. you know, mm. they want essentially uh, robots or monkeys to do this job because mm. um, it's cheaper that way. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's my kind of cynical view of this. Well, I think um, I, th- I think you're on so, but at the same time, they've had, even before Babylon Health came out... Um, there was, um, I can't remember the website, it was Mobile Digital Assessments, I think it was about five years ago um, on the NHS, where you could literally type in your symptoms and it would just take you through a series of questions mm. and it would tell you what was wrong with you and or what to do. So you could yeah. say, I've, I've got a headache uh, that I've had for half an hour and then they'll just ask you, you know, which yeah. part of your head, it's what scalable, do you feel like, blah, blah, blah. It's scalable. And then they will tell you, yeah. go to bed with some paracetamol yeah. or... Um, get, call an ambulance now, uh, whichever one um, they, they found is, is most uh, well. So, you know, the things like that, they, they can be they can be helpful and they certainly have their place and, and they're sort of, you know, they're, they're growing. This is my cynical hat being put on. So they sort of scale, they, 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 they essentially devise it here and then scale it in, in, in developing economy countries. And then sell it. Well, yeah, yeah, you know, and, and, and then they just sort of repeat it because there's lots of uh, guinea pigs to try out their protocols on. Hey, they're doing very well. Yeah, you know, some 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 people that's how it works, and mm. I mean, I'm not a um, a business expert. I'm more of a a touchy feely therapist. <laughs> than anything else do you, do you, do you know what I mean so I know exactly what you mean I'm, I'm yeah. much the same I, I, I don't even like to do telephone consultations I'd much rather meet my patient face to face and have this conversation much like we're having right now yeah. um, maybe not necessarily on these lovely armchairs you've got yeah um, but uh, you know. we should do a video at some stage shouldn't, <laughs> shouldn't we sort of video and both of us lying here with our feet up yeah yeah <laughs> uh, very close to each other <laughs> <laughs> So, um, yeah, I know, I know. I quite like, you know, because I do um, a lot of psychotherapy and I, and I find telephone and uh, uh, non-video Zoom and Skype quite quite good, actually, because it allows them to um, to be in their own safe space physically. Yeah, and, I'm, know, I'm not uh, 100% yeah. against them. I think yeah. the initial consultations, I always prefer to be face-to-face. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just look them in the eyes. Well, like, I think we just get a you know yeah, better sense. feel for each other yeah. and what's going on. Um, that said, I did have a um, um, a consultation, a Skype consultation with um, a cardiologist recently, which went very very well indeed. 
Um, and uh, so certainly they, they do have their role. It saved me a, a trip down to London. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, it was just done at our own convenience. And, and, and bloody hell, mate, you know, this year your heart was struggling. Yeah. Fucking hell, what happened, man? Who saw that coming? <laughs> <laughs> Where'd that fucking come from, mate? Where did that come from? So, yeah. This what is, happened, man? Well, this is the first time I'm, I'm talking about it um, publicly, so I'll, I'll happily tell you. Thank you. Um, so I had a heart attack. Wow. Get your head around that, if you can believe it. Okay, um, no. It just uh, took me by surprise. Um, and... Uh, and no idea really where it came from. Um, and you're 34. <laughs> 34. I wish. <laughs> um, I'm 44. Um, and uh, otherwise, fitting well, healthy, active, eating well. I'd been exercising that morning. Normal blood pressure, normal weight, not diabetic. Enduring and, health, uh, mate. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm enduring. Here I am. Um, and then I got back from the gym, resting at home. This is on the 9th of August. Just relaxing. And suddenly I got this awful chest pain. And I thought, well, yeah, I don't like that. What on earth is that? Um, tried to ignore it. Uh, just went about my day, you know, getting ready for work. And it was just, it wouldn't go away. And it got really heavy, really sharp, like upper chest pain in the neck and throat. Started to go down the left shoulder. And I thought, oh, this, uh, I've read about these. <laughs> <laughs> How, how long did it take you to realise that you thought, shit, this is a heart attack that's happening? Um, well, it was actually when the ambulance crew arrived. Um, I, I called an ambulance for myself. That's how bad it was. Um, and they arrived and they were fantastic. And I say, um, they put an ECG on me straight away and they said, yeah, you've got uh, ST segment elevation in the inferior leads. And I said, what? No, give me that. Let me have a look. Bloody hell, you're right. Um, and you know, I haven't that's seen. That's like that's not mine. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen one of those since my A and E days. And, uh, and yeah, all the other symptoms are sweating, feeling sick, dizzy, faint, and I thought, what is going on here? And um, the ambulance crew drove me straight to uh, cardiology, uh, acute coronary unit, um, and they were brilliant. You know, the driver drove like a hero and. Um, the paramedic that was sat with me, she was really kind and supportive and um, got to hospital, put me on the angiogram table um, and uh, and they found a thrombus in my right coronary artery and they took it out and that was bloody agony. <laughs> uh, they took it out and uh, put in a couple of stents and they said, okay, you're all done. How do you feel? I said, oh, it's gone now. I feel, feel all right. Can I go? <laughs> got a clinic to do now <laughs> yeah well funny that my work were texting me saying well, are, you, are you coming in what's going on and I said, I'm not really coming in this morning I'm afraid uh, I think this afternoon is probably out too um, but so yeah that was kept on the ward for 48 hours and, and uh, what was, was it like being on the ward being, being an inpatient um well, I would hear stories of people who, you know, they'd have an MI, um, myocardial infarction, and then they'd have a procedure on the head, and then immediately they'd be served fish and chips or burger and chips. And so I had my procedure done by 11.30, lying in bed, midday. Guess what they served me? Fish and chips. Um, <laughs> Greasy fish and yeah, chips. Yeah, and I, I just said, no, I'm sorry, I, I, I can't eat uh, 
Um, in terms of the carol, I was it was second to none. It was fantastic and really makes me deeply proud um, of being part of the NHS and, and the fact that we have this incredible service um, that, that does uh, just works tirelessly for patients. Um, and I know I'm very critical of those in charge. Um, and the reason I'm critical is because I feel that uh, it's the you know frontline staff that need supporting. You know they're yeah. the ones who are really stretched and delivering this excellent care. Um, and uh, they they should be given a break. They should um, have their have their endeavours. Well, they should be listened to at least. Yes, like, absolutely. What what the hell do you want? Please yeah. tell us. Yeah. It's like, right, we we want this. We want this. We want this. We want this. Yeah. And it's literally bending over backwards to try and give them what they want. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, you know, we're not asking much. Yeah. I mean, the money's there. You know, they can't say the money's not there. Well, yeah. And you know, you can sort of find ways of siphoning the money away from outsourcing to to you know whoever you're outsourcing and, mm. and just giving it to the to the staff who are, who are on the front line mm. yeah and so i mean that that's an area i do get very passionate about when it comes to talking about supporting um, healthcare workers and and you know do, doing better by them making sure that um, their well-being is taken care of um so what was it like being a hospital bed? It was, to be honest, I didn't really think about that. I was just, my head was just in a spin. I'm yeah, struggling, to, think struggling to get around how, how or why this has happened to me. I mean, my dad had um, um, an angio, angiogram and um, there is a, a strong family history on my mum's side as well. My, mm. my maternal uncles, in fact, since this happened, my mum's youngest brother had a, had a heart attack. Um, it wasn't until I chatted with our friend... Um, Asim Malhotra um, and he asked me a question that, that really struck, stuck with me he said uh, in hindsight over the last five years what are your stress levels been like on a scale of one to ten and I thought five years one to ten probably a seven to eight mm-hmm. and uh, and then that was the first time I'd really thought about you know whether or not I was stressed um, because I was well, I don't feel stressed. I'm alright. I'll just keep going. I'm gonna keep doing this. And you know, I love my work. I love what I do. I love the people I work with. I love my patients, my clients. It's just it's fantastic. Um, so I'm just gonna, gonna keep going. And um, and, uh, and that brings stress with it inevitably. And it wasn't until he asked that question that uh, it really hit home to me how much I'd been sort of driving myself to do what I do. Um, and so since then, I've I've just backed right down. I haven't taken on any more consulting work, corporate engagement. I'm not doing doing any public speaking. Put the podcast on ice. Actually, I'm going to probably resume that this month um, because I've missed that. I really do love podcasting, and um, just minimal clinical work, just a couple of days a week, and just taking it easy, spending yeah. spending time with friends, family, loved ones, you. <laughs> well, yes, I'm, I'm. I'm. I'm trying to keep your stress level super low here. Oh, I'm loving it. This is a beautiful place. This is, uh, your listeners don't know where we are. This is a. This is in Hyder's Knightsbridge Clinic. We're in this wonderful, beautifully lit room on these uh, really comfortable armchairs that have these optional massage buttons. And yeah, this is a very stressful place to be. Yeah, I mean, it's important just to sort of switch off, really. Um, and uh, slow down, as you said. And we're notorious for not slowing down. Yeah, we are. We but are. doesn't that have consequences? Because when you slow down and you were sort of speeding up before, what what happens to you? Isn't there like a sort of a buffer zone where things get all 
you know, scrambled, and you've got to find your way again, your, your new idle speed. I think it's about finding that happy medium, isn't it? Where, you know, we're, we're still doing the meaningful work that, you know, um, we feel resonates with us, mm. um, whilst at the same time we're taking care of our own needs mm. um, physically and mentally and, and socially. One of the things I've always been proud of is, is the, having good people around me um, really, you know, help to look after me and, and um, just really overwhelmed by some of the kind words of support I've got from everyone I know, including your, your good self. Um, and, uh, and it can make all the difference, really can, to have those good people around you who raise your spirits um, can make a massive difference to our well-being. And um, how have the family taken it? Um, I think you'd have to ask them. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure. Um, so my folks came to visit me on the day, and um, we we actually had a really good laugh together, mm. um, which sounds really peculiar, but um, my, my parents are just very, very chilled out, easygoing people nowadays. Um, my wife and my son, well, my wife was, was in shock. Um, she came... Uh, they were actually they'd gone down with some of his uh, school friends to Cornwall to go surfing for the week so they were driving back um, and um, they, they came straight to the hospital to see me um, yeah just didn't see it coming so well, what have you been up to while I've been away and I said honestly nothing I've just been working had a friend over for dinner last night um, didn't drink uh, you know just yeah. uh, I'm not really a drinker None of the white stuff. <laughs> None of the racy stuff. Been, been a good boy. I'm genuinely not done anything. Um, I don't know what happened. Um, so, but yeah, I, I do think when um, when I was asked that question about you know stress levels, that was that was a, a real sort of clue as to what was going on. I think hindsight is twenty twenty, and and I can look back on on the time leading up to that, how hard and busy I was keeping myself. Um, and uh, and and how much stress I was actually letting slip into my life, uh, when frankly I should have known better. Um, so uh, yeah. Were you hard on yourself? Quite a message. No, I've I've accepted what yeah. I've did and uh, you know yeah. dealt with the consequences. And um, now it's just really a case of just just healing and getting better and and taking it easy. And figuring out what I want to do next. Yeah. Um, you know, when, when I want to resume my, my consultancy and my coaching um, and just taking things as, as they come, yeah. really. Yeah, yeah. Which is, um, which is a relief, I think. Mm. You know, that you don't have to just keep going. You can stop and it's okay to stop. And, in, you know, in certain circumstances, you have to stop. Mm. Otherwise, the you know, consequences are absolutely dire. And, 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 and so, but the thing is, we, we don't have to get that far for us to stop. We can actually stop while we're still healthy. Hmm. Well, yeah. it's hard for people like you and me to stop. Yeah. You know, when we're doing these kind of things that we really, really love doing, yeah. that really sort of, you know, um, ignite our spirit, if you like. Yeah. It's, it's difficult to stop. It can be very, very addictive. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know that you know that white powder can be very addictive. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you just keep going until it pops. I don't know what kind of pharmacy <laughs> we're in right now. 
Mate, it, it's all it, it's all good, as they say. It's all good. Um, so I guess you have a different outlook to to someone that comes to you with with a heart condition. Well, yeah. Um, one of the things that I remember when I was in my GP training um, was, you know, there was a question asked once: Should you talk about your own experiences to a patient? And the answer was, No, you must never. Yeah. I love it when someone tells me I should never do something because then chances are I'll probably yep, try it. Yep, you'll do a shanitis on them. Yeah, it's um, like, no, piss off, mate. And uh, so it's 33-year-old lady came in to see me um, a couple of months ago. And uh, she was she was really in a very difficult emotional state. She was really struggling and she was anxious. And she was worried. And I said, what's going on? I said, well, I, I, I can't believe it. I, I had a heart attack and I'm 33. And I said, oh, my gosh, what happened? Um, and it's a very similar story to mine. It was actually literally the day after I was discharged. Wow. So she went to the same hospital, and so you know, got talking, and she said, "I, I don't know, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to cope, and and I can't get my head around this. What's going on?" And so, and this, you know, is probably going to be frowned upon by you know senior GP trainers around her. But I said, "Well, look, you know what? I know what you're going through." Yeah, and. Um, and I'll tell you why and I explained to her my situation and everything and I showed her my little um, angioplasty scar that they go into through the radial artery just there wow. and um, we had matching scars and um, and you know she just she suddenly felt so much calmer as a result knowing that you know she was talking to someone who'd been through a similar situation and, and, and I said look you know I know it's not easy, yeah. um, and and I can't. I don't pretend to have all the answers here, but yeah. uh, I can tell you things will get better, and uh, let's talk about how we're going to make them better. Well, and um, and she got quite emotional and uh, gave me a hug at the end, which uh, um, I was kept everything very professional there otherwise, um, and uh, it was. I think had I not talked about my own personal experience, mm. I don't think she would have been able to really take in what I was saying or you know relate to me or anything things like that and uh, it was it was quite a um, yeah it was, it it was, was a pivotal consultation for you as well mm. you know that sort of really raw real connection yeah with um, not just the patient but another human being uh-huh. and and that's really powerful um, and that's something that I love doing being being in this space where I'm able to have that privilege to connect with another human being really deeply. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I find it very spiritual. You know, that's my kind of spiritual transcendence. Mm. Where I can connect with someone during their real pain, mm. particularly if I've been through it. Mm. So, you know, I mean, I see a lot of patients here who, who, who go through immense emotional pain. Mm. Um, and it's... Uh, I know I've been through a lot of emotional pain. Mm. It's therapeutic for me. Mm. I mean, you know, one of the, you know one of my ethos is, is that um, during the consultation, you're you're actually healing yourself and finding your way your your own ways of therapy. And then just that process and just being in that space or that intention of bringing therapy to yourself, it, it gives them that subconscious. Uh, sense of therapy for themselves as well mm. you know as as they're watching you 
process your thoughts mm-hmm. because there's a lot of transference you know, yeah. when we're physicians and, and, and therapists yeah and and it's and you know you, you, you need to realise there's a lot of of your you know shit going across to mm-hmm. the patient mm-hmm. so just by you opening up that allowed her to open up and you know that sort of new dynamic happened mm-hmm. which isn't really textbook stuff no. you know it's, it's literally you've got to be doing it on the job Mm-hmm. And um, takes time. Yeah, yeah, it it does take time, and 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 I'm not necessarily condoning. You know, that we should go out there and, and always share our own personal experiences with our patients. Um, but you know, I don't think we should be so dogmatic to say that there's never an appropriate time to. Um, I'm not really a big fan of these uh, dogmatic rules, anyway. Um, I think you've got to. I want to pick the moments and, and find what intervention do we feel will help our patients the most at this particular given time as fast as possible. And and I knew with her situation that what she needed more than anything else was someone to understand her mm. and what she was going through. And I thought, well, what better way would there be than for me to say, actually, I'm going through something very similar. Mm. Mm. And And I know it's not easy. No, no, it's not easy, you know, it's, um, but, you know, the good things in life are not easy. Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, that's the way it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it's a bit like coaches, really. You know, most coaches are useless and, you know, <laughs> charlatans and it's all a load of BS, mate. You know what, I don't actually really... Agree with me. Call myself a coach <laughs> all that much nowadays. No, I, I do agree with you. Oh, really? Oh, that's okay. Um, but uh, I think it's not the first time I've said that. I was on a podcast as well, and you know, I was saying that you know they're all BS, and 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 um, I don't. Think I mean, it's about BS. money at the end of the day, and you know, they're there to 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 pay for their wages and and, and lifestyles and so on. Um, but it's such a difficult profession. You know, not everyone is a coach. And mm. for you to say, oh, I've done this course, course I'm a coach now, I, that, well, no, that's not how it works. And um, I've been in this space for, since 2013, and um, I've, I've rarely seen a good coach. Mm-hmm. I've rarely seen someone who sort of gets it mm-hmm. and is there for me rather than for themselves mm. and the majority of them are there for themselves and and you know gassing themselves up and um, and you know the biggest contention that I have is that they're always putting their flavour into that relationship and for me a good coach is someone who doesn't put that flavour into that relationship someone who can hold up the mirror and show you your BS. Mm-hmm. There's very few like that. Mm-hmm. You know, they do have a lot of transference and a lot of, um, you know, where they're sort of impressing their uh, whole mindsets and their whole way of being. And I don't like that. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I completely accept what you're saying about. Um... <clears throat> The uh, the lack of credentials. I mean, coaching is itself a completely unregulated unreleg- industry. Um, anyone can you know go on any 
two-day seminar or an online course and then decide to call themselves a coach and get some weird certificate of meaningful value um, sorry, meaningless value, and um, and set up a coaching practice, and and some people really have no business at all being it's a damaging. coach. It's it's dangerous. Yeah. Um, yeah. The other thing to point out, because uh, I, I got interested in coaching around about two thousand seven, I, I did a diploma in two thousand eleven, um, and I incorporated it to my medical practice. Found it very very helpful and valuable um, to making a difference, helping people make a difference in their in their health and well being. And um, one of the things that I learned is that a coach doesn't actually tell you what to do or how to live your life. And uh, a coach, uh, their sole role there is is really ask those meaningful questions Mm. that will really sort of help people look into things uh, for themselves. And the second thing is a good coach would always seek permission first. I remember going out to dinner with a group of friends about two years ago. and uh, some people there I didn't know. One of them was an American lady who was a. It emerged later was a life coach, and uh, asking lots of questions about my brother and me. Um, my older brother and I have had a, um, a an up and down relationship over the years, shall we say, um, and um, was asking some really, just strangely, just asking about my family, and then got to my brother and started started questioning all these things, and then started giving me her judgment. Mm-hmm. and uh, saying well you know you, you, your issue is this and your issue is that and your issue is the other and I said what excuse me what what the hell are you talking about and who, who are you anyway and uh, she said oh don't worry I'm a life coach and I said well I don't really give a fuck who you are yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're giving some uninvited opinions right now into an area that you really don't know anything about um, and uh, you know it's not our coach's job to fix you um, it's not um because there's nothing wrong with you yeah okay um, and it's important to uh, look at areas where um, where you want to heal and that's fine and a coach can can help you with that but shouldn't be telling you what to do or how to live your life or tell you you're not enough or you're not worthy or you know the reason you haven't got this or that is because you brought it on yourself and you know it's it's a it's really a terrible terrible practice and and, uh, and I'm sure in time that these kind of things will start to be addressed and, and stamped out, frankly, because I think that it's just plain dangerous in some mm. cases. Mm. But you see, sometimes you want a coach to give you advice. Mm-hmm. So I don't think you can just ask questions. You need, okay, maybe call a mentor. Um, well, that's different to a coach. Yeah. I mean, I think they're fairly interchangeable. I mean, if I was to have a coach, I want someone who I can relate to, has experienced what I've experienced, and I need them to have gone through it. Well, I think that's reasonable. My understanding of the difference, and no, I don't want to get bogged down in semantics, is that uh, a mentor is someone who's actually achieved what it is you're after mm. and can mentor you to get there. Like, you mm. know, say, as a, as a GP, I've mentored many junior doctors. Mm. Uh, whereas a coach doesn't actually need to have achieved what you want to achieve. Mm. You know, uh, they don't need to necessarily, you know, like say, for example, um, Alec Ferguson never won um, the Champions League as a footballer or the European Cup as a footballer. Mm. Um, but, you know, he coached his uh, his team to win two of them. Um, and I think that's that's the difference there. Mm. Um, 
and uh, but would he accept a coach in inverted commas outside his industry just to ask questions pertinent questions well questions to help you figure out where things are um, and, and where things should be going is, mm. is, was what I was um, trained to help look at yeah. um, and uh, you know just just looking at those just just, just blind spots yeah yeah I think yeah, things that you can't quite spots. see and, and just helping to reveal what's what's actually really going on yeah. underneath the hood if you like yeah. yeah what are your thoughts I mean do you, do you tell, tell I haven't met I mean I've met a few good coaches as in you know, well you've met the Brendan Bouchard though haven't you yeah I mean he was um But I was in a uh, in a dark place at the time, mm-hmm. and I think uh, you know it didn't take much to sort of find my way. Maybe I don't know. Maybe that was it, magic. Maybe mm-hmm. it was sort of the simplicity of things mm-hmm. um, that helped me out of my funk. Um, it helped me out, but then I had even more questions afterwards. Mm-hmm. It's like, right, okay, I'm out of this, but then I've got so many other things to think about. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, it's always a, an area of contention, and I like talking about this anyway. You know, it's it's uh, it's a good thing to sort of have a go at other professions, <laughs> <laughs> since everyone's having a go at us. Um, well, I think you know, if people are looking to get a life coach. I, I just want to be very clear: I'm, I'm not against them at all. I, I know of many good life coaches, but uh, at the same time got to make sure that you're getting a, getting yourself a good one not just someone yeah so so guys if you're interested in in getting a life coach uh, get get hold of Shan uh, no I'm, I'm not <laughs> <laughs> maybe not just yet maybe give, give me a few more months of rest and recuperation yeah yeah get that part back to uh, but, um, back to speed again so so have, have an experience what you've experienced in terms of the heart mm-hmm. and in terms of your health mm-hmm. and in terms of, sort of all these things uh, over the last year how has your notion of wellness changed and sort of what practices have you put in place to sort of uh, keep your heart ticking along? Well, healthcare begins with, with self-care. Yeah. And I think we very quickly can become distracted by other things happening without really looking at ourselves. I always thought um, that I was I took good care of myself mm. um, and... Um, one of my beliefs was that you know genetics only has its role lifestyle is really the key driving factor and you, you live a good healthy clean lifestyle you'll be okay genetics has a massive role as i've quickly learned um, and at the same time we've uh, you know need to do even more from a lifestyle perspective mm. and and uh you know i shouldn't really sort of rest on my laurels and say well you know my my lifestyle is good got to constantly look for improvement yeah. where, where could I actually make things even better for mm. myself you know what how can I reduce my stress even more can I can I eat even better than I am now um, what would be the best exercises for longevity um, instead of weightlifting which is what mm. I was uh, which was my favorite exercise at the time and um, uh, and but the, the, I think the big thing that I noticed when um, on discharge, and I was told when I left that I was to literally do more or less nothing for four weeks, which is an alien concept to me. Um, 
was how much I slowed down um, deliberately and consciously, you know, literally from my, my thoughts uh, to the pace I walked at, um, to all of my movements. And as I did that, I started just noticing things around me, you know, sort of noticing, um, you know, the color of the walls or um, the smell of freshly cut grass or, you know, the birds in the sky. And I just really started started becoming more sort of consciously aware of a lot of that, you know, these things that we have around us that uh, kind of take for granted. And, and uh, it, it felt really, really centering. Um, and and I think that was, they were probably the main things that uh, mm. that I really changed. And yeah, I felt, uh, felt a lot better for it. So it was like a sort of metaphysical shift rather than a physical shift. Um, and that sort of allowed you to improve your physical well maybe aspects as well metaphysical from the physical yeah I think the physical drove it that i was consciously slowing down deliberately um and as a result just feeling a lot better in myself yeah um and uh you know i think maybe over the years i hadn't really been self-reflective enough i haven't really sort of paused and said hang on wait a second you know what am i saying yes to right now that I should be saying no to. Mm. And uh, interesting, since then, my, my default answer used to be yes. You know, and now it tends to be more no uh, until someone can really sell it to me. Um, and uh, and I think that, that has had quite a quite a big difference yeah. in terms of how yeah. I feel. Yeah. Well, Shan, it's been a great pleasure having you here. And uh, thank you so much for opening up for, you know, a very personal experience for you and I think this will only make you stronger you know going through this and, uh, and uh, allowing you to sort of um, discuss your experience and experience your experience as well at the same time well, that's what everyone keeps telling me <laughs> um, that uh, it'll make me stronger uh, but uh, I know I'm, I'm feeling good and it's always great to see you and uh, come down and hang out with you and I'm looking forward to lunch shortly um, and uh, yeah um happy to get you back on our show again sometime um, uh, because that was... Uh, yeah, mate, don't cut me out, mate. You know, if I say the C word, let me say the C word. You really, For sake. You really did let rip for it. I was just <laughs> thinking of you and I thought, what if the GMC are listening to this, you know? We, well, what do you want me to do? I mean, you know, it's not as if... I mean, it's, it's not, it's as not if, like I bleeped you or anything. You it's know? not as if I don't swear in front of my patients anyway. <laughs> do you? Yeah, of course I do. <laughs> You, mate, I'm not, you know, I'm not a celebrity enough for them to get all shirty. <laughs> I think once I become a celebrity, they will, you know, run these back and think, oh, Dr. Al Hakim, please, what is this? What is that? It's, like, oh, it's a bit of banter, a bit of shit, that kind of stuff. We'll get you back on the show um, and uh, let, let's just well, just... well, I mean, I was on the radio recently and that was great fun. That you was, know, yeah. You know, I did slip a bit. I, you know, I you... did say the word piss take and, and then I realised. Yeah, and I, I was like, no. <laughs> Did you really? No. <laughs> but that was great fun. That was great We were fun. very serious on that show, though, because it was live. Well, well you kept asking really... serious questions. And, you know, I tried to weasel out of the seriousness, but then you brought me back into... What okay, should... so what's the next one? Like, mate, let's just have a what, good... What should I have asked you? I don't know. But, you know, I guess it's a... Um, you've got certain listeners and 
you know, you've got to entertain. I'm still trying to figure out the demograph of that uh, that crowd, to be honest. Um, we, we're going to be resuming that soon, hopefully with you. Um, but uh, Yes, see. It, don't worry, guys, it won't be X-rated because my hands are tied. Live radio broadcasting rules. But uh, no, it was really you can't swear on sort of live radio. You know what? They've never actually told me that I can't swear. I've always assumed that I can't swear. Um, So maybe I can push push the boat. You could, yeah. I'm I'm not really a big swearer myself. um, I never used to be. Until when? Until (laughs) I think. Until we started podcasting. (laughs) Well, I think until um, I I saw in front of my family. I I think I swore in front of my mum. You know, I, ha- I had like an, uh, a nervous breakdown, rant, emotional meltdown, and I just went off on one. Everyone was shocked, but no one said don't swear. Well, actually, they did say don't swear, but it just felt so great. Sort of that sort of cathartic release of energy. I felt absolutely great, but the rest thought I was a nutter. <laughs> Luckily, they didn't call the, the mental health services. <laughs> this guy's psychotic. Come and get well, him. No, I think after that, you probably felt a lot better. And um, I felt really well. And um, and then I thought, Jim, what? This is pretty good. And I, I, I think it was from my um, um, when I did those videos for the GP group on Facebook, mm-hmm. and I got sort of opposing. Uh, responses positive and negative and the negative were just about the swearing and the positive was about the message or was this at Moorfields no no this was right um, this is for a GP group uh, on Facebook uh-huh. so they kicked me out of that oh, did they? which yeah, GP yeah. group was it it's called the resilient GP oh they're a nice bunch yeah apparently I was a bit too inappropriate oh, yeah. for them so I got, got, I got kicked out of that. And then a bunch of GPs thought that was unfair. Uh-huh. They did a, um, a campaign, bring back Haida. <laughs> hash bring back Haida. You know, obviously, they didn't bring me back. So then they contacted me and said, mate, why don't we do our own GP group? Mm-hmm. And this was about five, six years ago. And yeah, so our, we've, we've got a separate sweaty healthcare professional group. Okay, cool. Where we just sort of have a bit of banter. Cool. Can you add me? Of course. Yeah. 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 You know. And and. Um, and they allow swear words. It gets very kinky sometimes, mate. You oh, know. Dear. Yeah. Forget the swear <laughs> word. Like it gets proper kinky sometimes. Oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Shan. Oh, it's a great pleasure. Good to see you. Thanks for listening to this installment of the Surgical Spirit podcast. For all the latest in the world of Surgical Spirit, don't forget to follow on Twitter at The Third Eye Doc and catch me on Facebook at the page The Third Eye Doctor. You can visit the website at www.thethirdeyedoctor.co.uk for more information on the work that I do. And please send us feedback and questions and suggestions for the podcast. It's always a pleasure to hear from you. I've been Dr. Haida Al-Hakim and I'll see you next time.